welcome to Snacking with the Saints, the podcast where we eat snacks and talk about the saints with your hosts, Andrea and Lena. Thanks for being here. Let's jump in. All right, everyone, we are back for another episode. Uh, we are in Lent. Yes. Full blown in Lent now. Second day of Lent for us. Second day of Lent. Yeah. So for our snacks, that did present an interesting situation. Let's start yes. with our snacks we first. We had a lack of communication, we did. I feel like, because it was. I really should have thought about it because Lent is such a time of giving up yes. on indulgences and stuff. And I brought probably the most indulgent snack I've brought so far. And it yeah. is milk chocolate, sea salt caramels. Yeah. And I can't. And Andrea, you gave it up. And I'm so yeah. sorry. I'm like, I feel like I'm taunting you with No, it's okay. Now. I gave up sugar. And I know I've said so many times that I don't like sweets, <laughs> but I have been a sugar monster. Like as of recently, or this is an ongoing situation? As of recently. Because okay. when I was pregnant, I had a lot of sugar cravings. So sure. then I started indulging gotcha. in just sugary things. So for me, it's been more like sugary drinks. Like I used to never drink like a lot of iced tea, coffees and teas. Sure, yeah. Um, a lot of like Dr. Pepper and just a ton, a ton of excess sugar. Yeah. It's not necessarily like dessert. Yeah, it's like a sneaky way that it oh, gets in. just a, a lot, a lot. Well, a lot of gummy bears, a lot of Pop-Tarts because okay. working in the youth office. We have those just like <laughs> on demand at fruit all times. Fruit snacks. Oh, so many fruit snacks. <laughs> so I just really needed a reset of my just like mentality yeah I just need to be more mindful in a lot of areas so I thought this would be a way or one thing that would be good for me like just mindfulness but also physically I needed and probably the temptation is around you enough where it just constantly drives you back to like prayer or just like going back to the Lord yes and actually now that you say that we I accidentally drank sweet tea at lunch and I didn't (laughs) even think about it see that's one of the things does that count I don't know it well, I mean, for me, yeah, I think it does. I think because sweet tea is one of the things I've been trying to stop living yeah, off of. But like, does, I, it, does it count if you forget and you? No, I don't think it. I for no, I don't think it counts because it wasn't like intentional. But it just shows how like addicted to sugary drinks I'd become because I didn't even think about getting myself a sweet tea. So <laughs> already not Live off to and a learn. great start. Yeah, it's not about perfection. It's, it's just not about coming back every time. Right. Uh, so my snack because of that is just, um, trail mix, a Yum. nice trail mix package. It's got a variety in it. Yeah. Tell me what's in it. Uh, I don't, that one is walnuts and, uh, I just had membrane pumpkin seeds, <laughs> Ooh, uh, like some cranberries. I only like cranberries, um, cran raisins and trail mix. So a lot of good stuff. Not on your salad? No, what? I don't. That's good. No, I'm weirdo. I will only eat them in trail mix. They're the same all over anytime you eat them, but I only like it in trail mix. I don't right. know. I'll let, I'll let you know. I can't that. explain. This feels it like makes a good no texture sense. combination here. I think that could be it. Yeah. So they're just little packets. I keep them in my desk. Yeah. And I need them on hand because like I said, we have so many snacks all the time. So I have to have them nearby or else I'll I'll forget and just grab something because it's out. So, and is that satisfying enough to just like fill that craving? And then, yeah, you can, they are because okay. it's you know so with the fat and the protein. Yeah, it's so filling. So I could see that being a good. Be grab eating and go. a lot of trail mix <laughs> these forty days. 
Well, I appreciate that. I feel like you kind of come in with some of the healthy stuff and I come in with the indulgence. So I feel like it's a good balance. Perfect balance. And you can save it. I can bring it back like after Easter if you want to. Please, please. <laughs> Actually, you know what? What's the Sunday rule? Do, do you subscribe to the on it Sundays? It depends. Okay, sometimes I do and sometimes <laughs> I don't. So, but here's the thing. There was some fierce debate in college on if Sundays counted in Lent. Yeah. And I just think they don't because the if you count 40 days, like from Ash Wednesday to Easter yes. and the Sundays, then it's more than 40 days. Interesting. Yeah. Like literally 40 days case. is only the, the non-Sundays. Yeah. But I think in the past, so here's the thing. I would use the Sundays as an excuse to just like go crazy. Yeah. We don't want to like make it a binge day. Yeah. Right. If right. I gave up something food wise, which I don't always, but if I did, Sunday yeah. was like, like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I so could see. that's why I had to slip. be like, maybe I don't need this in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, is also why one year I gave up Chick-fil-A because I love Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I That's gave up Chick-fil-A hard. for Lent. Well, and they're closed on Sundays, so you couldn't even yes. do that. Yes, so it was so hard <laughs> because they're closed on Sundays. So it was just like a long time without Chick-fil-A. And then when I had it, the Chick-fil-A sauce was too sweet for me. I couldn't <gasps> eat it because it's, it's like, like my palate. Detoxed. Yeah, I detoxed a little bit. So that's why when you're like, I'll bring it back, I was like, oh, I don't know. What if it's too much then? maybe it might be too much. But then like, I was like, no, you will keep eating Chick-fil-A sauce. So I just kept eating it until you I liked it retox again. on yeah. this. Because <laughs> I love it. So I had to. Um, so, but this time I'm like, maybe I won't force myself to re-like the things. That maybe you're just right. not suited for. Yeah, because I used to not be able to drink like Dr. Pepper because it right. like burned my throat. But then I... Built up a tolerance. Or, <laughs> tolerance to Dr. Pepper. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, Spoken I just like a true Texan. I know. I love, I love Dr. Pepper. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Well, we also had a debate about the sea salt caramels because I felt I took one for Andrea since she couldn't eat it. Yeah. And I have to tell you. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, I had to tell you that it had way too much salt for me. I mean, I felt like I was coughing on the salt because. There were some big flakes. But I to tend to like salty and sweet. I, so I'm was a little tempted because I want to know. Sorry. I want to know, but I like a salty and sweet because if it's super sweet, like really milk chocolatey, yes, really caramelly, you need you need the salt to, to cut, cut it. it. Yeah. I agree, just in proportion. I salted salted caramel is so hard because I've had salted caramel stuff before where I'm like, where is the salt? <laughs> it was like an it's more like a Real. sprinkle, like yes. an aesthetic. That yeah. is a really hard flavor combo I think to get right it is it takes a fine hand to really yeah. know man now I, now I want to go bake now that I said it's really hard I'm like I'm gonna conquer it okay yeah I think so especially like chocolate chip cookies with the sprinkle of salt on top I think those are really good I, I don't know why I'm saying this to you right now I don't know Lent. I'm sorry I, don't, I feel like you're in the desert I love baking <laughs> but can I bake if I can't have it because I saw a recipe for a salted caramel cupcake oh I think mm. it's sprinkles Remember oh, when yes. everyone loved like cupcake places and yes. sprinkles? Sprinkles had one. It that was, was really good. Out. And yeah, on Pinterest, I, I saw like a copycat. Yeah. Kind of want to try it. Can it I? Be hard. What are the Lenten rules? Let's get a priest in here. If you can just bake and not eat it. I mean, I'm sure I can. But yeah. when I said, can I? Like if it's for science, <laughs> then. Like, don't you have to taste it though? Exactly. Like, that's what I mean. But it's for ooh, science to see if we can get like the we're getting in muddy waters. Yeah, it's not for I'm, science. It's just because I want <laughs> exactly. it. Okay, I want to say that 
I feel like the snacks are a good way to like go into like what our topic is. Oh, for sure. Because we're going through temptation. Yes. And we're trying to find the balance. And so Andrea, do you want to intro the topic for us? Yes. Our topic for this episode is saints of prayer. Yeah. Uh, Because in Lent, the three kind of pillars are prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Right. So we thought for Lent, we should focus on prayer first, because it's like you were saying, Lena, is the most foundational. I don't know if you have any other things. Yeah, I just think that it's, um, you know, this piece that we learn from the get go of of how to develop a relationship with God. And um, it seems so simple, and yet it becomes very complicated for Mm -hmm. people. And we, there's so many saints that have different ways of how they approach prayer. And so um, I just think that focusing on that, it helps us looking at saints that have um, really done that work spiritually Mm -hmm. helps us kind of unpack it a little bit easier because we kind of see, well, how did they go about it? And it shows like their journey from like a more surface level relationship with God into this deep contemplative place with, with the Lord. And so I just think that prayer, there's so many um, ways to get to arrive at it, but you can always go deeper. Oh, right. For sure. And one thing I always tell the teens is prayer is the relationship. Mm, When they're like, like, how can I pray to grow my relationship with God? I'm like, no, it is your relationship. It's not like this piece of it. Right. That is the thing you should be working on. Um, So we, I mean, of the three prayer, if we were going to focus on one, yeah, prayer is the one that I th- we felt drawn to. Yeah. It feels like it has the most meat. For sure. No pun intended with the Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and then we said I should go first because yes. Lena guessed who my saint is. Well, Wait, do you want to say I who never you even, think it is? I never even said who I think it is. Well, I think I did. And also, it'll go back to my snack too okay. because mine's a similar. You want me to say it? Yeah. Who do you think it is? I think it's St. Teresa of Avila. <laughs> yes, of course. Of course it is. The most, okay, she's the heaviest of all the hitters. Oh, but by far. the most, like. Especially with prayer. Yeah, her quotes, like her writings on quotes are like in the catechism. Like oh. the catechism references and builds off her quotes on prayer. Yes. So I felt I like wait. we had to go. But I don't, so who did I, there was someone else I thought of when I was thinking of prayer and the saints. And I don't remember who they are now. But I distinctly thought, wait, if we're going to do this for Lent, yeah, like with a Lent tie-in, I want to talk about a saint who struggled with prayer and Ooh, had I difficulties like praying. Yeah. So my process was to look through like saints talking about prayer. So mm-hmm. I was just reading what some saints said yeah. and then in finding quotes about prayer being difficult, they were a lot from Teresa of Avila. So oh, I was like, really of course, cool. because she's, we think of her as the master of prayer, but she yeah. has the most on why praying is hard. Yes. And then also shout out to myself, Teresa of <laughs> Avila. Um, her feast day is my birthday. Oh, that's so beautiful. she truly is top 10 favorites. And I made out a list of my top 10. <laughs> so okay. there, I, so I will it. be able to tell myself if I'm just saying that like now for real or not. Yeah. For real. She is on the list of top 10. Oh, I love um, that. I'm kind of obsessed with her, kind of in love with her. So I have to say that I felt really overwhelmed in making yeah. this. I'm probably going to stutter and just trip over my thing because there's truly like, I mean, we could right, we could do multiple multiple episodes, episodes books, a thesis, <laughs> so many things on this her This is life. how I felt about St. Francis, by the way. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this I is, feel you. This is my, I feel like a little overwhelmed and scared to attack her life. I'm sure I'm going <laughs> to mess up a lot of things, but I felt like she she had to be the one. Yeah, have to. to. You have if to we're going to talk her. about prayer, she is 
a voice we need. So I'm going to jump in. Uh, one, the first fun fact I learned about her was that she, um, her given name is Teresa Ali Fatim Corella Sanchez de Capeda y Amuda. So super long. Say that again. No, I cannot. I will not. Um, so she was born in 1515. And one thing I thought was really interesting was that just 20 years before she was born, uh, was when Columbus, you know, was discovering, uh, the Western hemisphere and the European colonization was taking off. Yeah. Uh, and then barely just a couple years before she was born, uh, the Protestant Reformation started. Okay. So I thought that was just such an interesting place and time for her to be dropped into. Not interesting, definitely on purpose, but just such a new, a new time, just a time of change. And it felt perfect that this was her era. It didn't mean it is perfect. It didn't feel perfect. Jesus knew what he was doing. (laughs) Um, So her father was a wealthy merchant. And so they were kind of an aristocratic family, but he was very, very pious in like a very rigid way. And he was very, um, very critical of Teresa and her brothers and sisters and their mom because of his, I guess, you know, quote, quote, piety. Sure. Uh, So she grew up in kind of a dysfunctional family. Her mother was uh, very kind of, I don't want to say worldly, but I guess worldly to her father. She really liked reading romance novels mm. and just things he didn't approve of. Yeah. So they were constantly fighting and then they'd put their kids in the middle of it. So her, Teresa's father would say, if you see your mom doing this, this, and this, tell me. And then Teresa's mom would say, don't tell your dad. We did this, isn't oh, this? Oh, wow. Like so, kind of alienating parents. Right. Like and so one thing I think that will carry through her yeah. life is that she constantly grew up feeling like she couldn't do anything right. Oh, that's She says hard. that. That she felt like there nothing she did would be acceptable. To one parent or the other. Yeah. So oh. that theme will carry on. And I thought that was so interesting. Uh, and I should say, like, I've read a lot about her, but I've never done such a dedicated look at her life. So just little things like that where I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense with my background knowledge of her. Yeah. Um, so as a teenager, she was a really typical teenager. She was very beautiful and very vivacious. So she was popular, but then she loved, um, boys. She loved fashion. (laughs) She loved to flirt. She was very outgoing. So, uh, her father found her very difficult to me. It sounds just like a very normal, strong-willed teenager. Right. And she was witty too, right? Very witty, very smart, very, uh, just charismatic. Yeah just from a young age, who who she was as a person, which again, plays well into who she would become later. But uh, when she was 16, her father decided she was out of control and needed to go live in the convent. So he sent her to live (laughs) uh, with Carmelites. And at first she found it very restrictive. She hated it, but then actually she began to enjoy it because she felt like loving God was a good thing for her, but also living with the nuns was less uh, strict than living with her father, she would say. So she actually liked living with the nuns. Yeah. Uh, So when it came time for her to choose between marriage and religious life, because she didn't like enter, she was more like being taught and kind of brought up with the nuns. So she got to an age where it was time for her to leave to get married or to enter the order. And she said it was a really tough decision to make. But ultimately, uh, she did not like what she saw of marriage in her home. Uh, Mm. But she also didn't think being a nun would be super fun. But in the end, she decided to choose religious life. So I thought that was interesting that that kind of wound would be what brought her her vocation. Yeah, and almost kind of a lukewarm entrance into the religious life. Yes, very lukewarm. Her basically entire life up until her 40s was lukewarm. 
Sweet, uh, that gives me hope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, when she became, you know, a Carmelite officially, mm-hmm. she began to practice mental prayer. But this is one of her quotes. She said, uh, tried as hard as I could to keep Christ present within me, but my imagination is so dull that I had no talent for imagining or coming up with great theological thoughts. Mm. So she, uh, she... Very relatable. Very relatable. So for, uh, I don't know, the first 18, 20 years of her religious vocation, she was very lukewarm. She prayed mm-hmm. on and off and not in a very uh, dedicated or deep manner at all. Yeah. And uh, this is kind of what it was like in the convent at this time. So mm-hmm. uh, remember, we've kind of talked about before that back then, being a nun was seen as like just an option for any woman. Right. And not so, necessarily a calling. Yeah, not a calling, kind of, not yeah. definitely not a religious calling. Yeah. Uh, or at least that wasn't the primary thing. Uh, so, you know, like women who entered often got like dowries they right. got paid to take women. Yes. And uh, they didn't do as much work. Right. Right. So, I mean, so many things were to begin with how the comments were. So, first of all, they got money to take women. So, they would take anyone. Right. Uh, it also became like a status symbol since you had to have money to be a nun. So, it was this weird thing of like another aristocratic option almost. Like the nuns would like style their veils like as a fashion statement they wore jewelry they had like parlors where they could have servants but also since it was like almost like a status symbol to be a sister like politicians would visit they were still very much part of the normal yeah Yeah. society life so i mean they would have like gentlemen callers uh it was very like and you know like there was gossip and just a lot of fun a lot just like a nor like you said, normal society. So having fun, having gossip, right. having your friends over. Uh, so she wasn't really trying super hard to have a great prayer life, but then where she was living was also not conducive to it either. Right. Which is kind of crazy. Um, it's such a one eighty from what it is oh, like now because yeah. of people like her. Yeah. But um, another thing that kind of was a callback to our episode on Saint John of the Cross, the prayer that was kind of, I guess kind of held up as the standard was very emotional in like a bad way. Uh, so <laughs> like in you, a scandalous way or yeah, I would say scandalous in a way. So there was a lot of like weeping when you prayed and like exaggerated penances that were very outwardly shown, Oh, gotcha. which I remembered we talked about St. John of the cross said that he would not cross the street to go yeah. see a stigmatic. Right. I remember you. Yeah. And we, that. cause that's, this was the era where it was very sensationalized, like the showy. Yes. And- like they would like go into these fake trances and say they were having visions because right. again, it was like the status symbol to be a sister and have these crazy experiences. Yeah. So weird. So that's who, where she was at. That was her lifestyle. And again, remember, she was very vivacious, very popular. Mm-hmm. So while she doesn't necessarily feel called into religious life, it still was a good option for her because it was this del- status symbol. Yeah, it was kind of a mix of be. both worlds. Right, exactly. Uh, so one thing that I thought was interesting was that uh, Teresa was a popular sister, So the convent would encourage her to have visitors because people would pay to come visit her and learn about prayer. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So um, she was very, you know, kind of living at the height of this weird, this weird cultural society within the convent. Um, Let me see. 
So um, I read things that said she was very involved in the gossip uh, of the of the convent, not super into spiritual guidance until uh, she got very sick. So she fell ill with uh, malaria. Okay. So she got malaria and she had a seizure and was in a coma for four days. And she was so sick uh, that they dug a grave for her. Oh my. So when she woke up four days later, they were like getting ready to bury her. Uh, afterwards, she had a lot of health issues okay. and struggled uh, for like years, uh, about three years with even just like paralysis. So she couldn't really move for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of that, like helping her spiritually, she kind of used it as an excuse to not pray at all. So she even went through this period where she wasn't praying. Um, you know, like she just used any excuse to say, well, like I'm alone all the time enough as it is. So I'm not going to go and seek more alone time in the chapel, you know, just things like that. Just kind of sitting. Right. Like, well, I don't feel well enough to make my prayers, you know, things like that. So she Um, would, she would kind of use that as a crutch to. Yes, definitely as a crutch. And then when she wasn't doing that, she also said she had this habit of talking about what a sinner she was Uh or like this fake humility, which I think goes back to her upbringing of feeling like she couldn't do anything right. Right. So she'd be like, well, I'm too great a sinner. So I will not approach God out of meekness, but really she just didn't want to pray. <laughs> yes. And it was almost kind of tricking yourself into thinking. Right. Yeah. Uh, so she Can had to say, I'm sorry to interrupt, oh, but Can I just say that this like champion of prayer, it's so reassuring to hear that she was like, oh, I'm sick. I don't feel like praying. Like, right. There was these p- places in her life where she had the same issues that we all struggle we with. We all, yeah. Very relatable. Yeah. For sure. Uh, so, but kind of on that, one of her quotes that she has in this kind of area of her life where she turned away from prayer completely. Uh, she said it was like a baby turning from its mother's breasts. What can be expected but death? So oh, she wow. very much, you know, acknowledges she went through and talks about it openly, but it's like, you know, it was obviously not what she want would have wanted for herself. Right. But to experience that, that piece, it's almost like, I wonder if it helped her appreciate like what she ascended to eventually. I don't know. Knowing the difference. Oh, know? I'm sh- the difference for sure yeah. was very evident. Um, so she was 41 when she went back to prayer. Wow. She had a spiritual director who encouraged her. So she started trying to pray again. Uh, but this is what she said. She said, I was more anxious for the hour of prayer to be over than I was to remain there. I don't know what heavy penance I would not have gladly undertaken rather than practice prayer. So she still didn't like it. <laughs> So she saw prayer as penance. Definitely. Uh, So one of her other quotes that I really liked was um, about prayer was all the trials we endure cannot be compared to those interior battles. Mm. So it's kind of like almost like she was, I feel like she was an expert on prayer because she was so bad at it. Like she really had to get better. Yeah. She didn't like have it. Um, ease with it to just begin with right so um as she pushed herself to return back to prayer she did start having uh what she called like spiritual delights so like little gifts from god yeah um so she kind of starts writing about how she was overwhelmed like her senses would become overwhelmed Mm -hmm. um she has what she would call glorious foolishness where she'd just be filled with like giddiness um she said she would feel union with god uh, so that she would feel like warmth in her oh, body. It's beautiful. And then sometimes her body would be raised from the ground when she prayed because she was all of her cares and worries would be lifted from her. So she would literally like levitate. Whoa, I didn't know that. That's, that's yeah. 
That's crazy. That's one thing I did know about her. Uh, there are stories that even she, when she felt like she was about to levitate, she would call the sisters to hold her down so she wouldn't. <gasps> so it's like documented. Yes. Um, so I thought I would share two of my favorite kind of these spiritual delights that she got. Yeah, I'd love to hear them. Yeah. So this is the one she's most known for, mm-hmm. I think. Have you seen the uh, the famous statue of her with the, with the angel, angel piercing yes! her heart? <laughs> yes. Right. So she would see um, the faces of the angels sometimes. Um, and this is kind of goes back to a quote where uh, she was she was praying about how she was still so drawn to worldly things in the convent. Sure. And one of the big things was that she had so many friends and she felt God saying, uh, you need to let them go and spend more time with me. Um, And she would say, but you know, I don't want to leave my friends. And God said, the angels will be your friends now. So she would kind of see angels every now and again, which is just crazy that it was so casual. So um, (laughs) like, Hey there. Yeah. Here's an angel again. I'm your friend. That just shows like the mercy of God that he wouldn't like, punish her for saying I want to be with my friends over you it's like he's giving her a spiritual aid in order to bring her back to him yeah that's beautiful so beautiful so this is one of uh her most widely known because of this beautiful statue I don't know where it is in Italy I forgot to look that up but one of my life dreams is to go and see the statue in real life it's I mean, the imagery in it is just so like Yeah, perfect. I think it's called ecstasy too, right? Isn't it? it? Should, it's name. If it's not, it should be because yeah. it's definitely a spiritual ecstasy. It's like she's ba- basically, she's being shot in the heart with an arrow from an angel, right? Yeah, and uh, this is what, she, so she kind of talks all about it and what it was like to see the angel and what his face was like. It's a very long quote. But just like the part that is kind of depicted in this statue is that um, I saw in his hand a long spear of gold and at the iron's point, there seemed to be a little fire he appeared to me to be thrusting it at times into my heart and to pierce my very entrails. When he drew it out, he seemed to draw them out also and to leave me all on fire with a great love of God. That's so um, beautiful. Yeah, so I'll try to put a picture of that on our Instagram. Yeah, we but, should uh, definitely. It's beautiful, and I want to see it one day. But that's like kind of the most well-known one from yeah. because of that that artist rendition. Yeah. But this is my favorite, and like just my life's goal one day is to hear the, these same words. So. She had a devotion to um, the child Jesus, Okay. which in my research, I found out she's even connected to the infant of Prague devotion, okay. which I didn't know. And I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole because I might lose my mind. Yeah, I also love the infant of Prague. Really? Okay, yes. cool. Um, anyway, so she had a, a devotion to the child Jesus too. Uh, and so there's a story that one time she was just walking through the convent and up a flight of stairs, she saw a little child, mm-hmm. a beautiful child. And she said, hey, who are you? What's your name? Yeah. Um, oh, wait. First, first, the little child called to her and said, what's your name? Oh. And she said, I'm Teresa of Jesus. Yes. Which was. That was her name. Yeah, that, that name. was her name. And then so she said, who are you, little boy? And you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, I am Jesus of Teresa. <gasps> oh, And that my just goodness. like melts my heart. Just that like. <laughs> The ownership and the love. Isn't that crazy? Jesus, I mean. I'm going to start crying now. I want to get that tattooed on my face or something. Like, I don't know. I've heard, I hear people say like, uh, you want to hear good and faithful servant one day, but that's yes. what I want to hear. Yeah, like, that's so much more intimate. Right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, and I feel like that's not as widely known, that that's, story. That but needs that's to be my broadcast. Favorite. We're doing sure. it now for sure. <laughs> good point. Yeah. So those are my, the wealth. Most well-known of her visions, but definitely the second one is my favorite. Um, I don't think I can recover from that story. Isn't it so cute? Oh, my gosh. I really... How do I get that tattooed on me? Someone <laughs> let me know. 
Um, so, okay, maybe this will bring you down. She actually <laughs> begged God to take these things away from her. Why? Because they were so public. They had become like her oh, floating and stuff. Right, yeah. They, I can see um, being alone. They became way too public for her. Yeah. Um, and she was in this really um, gossipy era, era yeah. yeah, community. So um, people thought that her, so like her friends, when she was like, I'm going to spend more time praying, they thought that something was wrong with her. They brought a Jesuit to see if she was possessed by the devil. Because she wanted to pray more. Yeah. And when she started having these crazy prayer experiences and ecstasy moments, so they were like, this is something's wrong with this. Yeah. This isn't of God or something they thought. Right. But soon, like, so she talked to another spiritual director and he was like, no, this is definitely um, this is definitely of God. And Teresa said her best evidence for that it was of God was that she felt such peace and encouragement and inspiration uh, from these yeah, from these there encounters. was no fear or right. confusion or yes. disillusion. Yeah. Um, but there was still just a lot of um, hostility and gossip about what was happening to maybe her. Maybe even jealousy. Probably jealousy. And probably, I would think like maybe just like complete, I would, I don't want to say, I guess I do want to say ignorance. Like they would have never seen such holiness. I think so too. And especially if that, um, if they were maybe in a place in their spiritual journey where prayer was a, like, um, not as intimate or just, I mean, just how probably all of us are in some yeah. sense to, to witness that would feel unreal, right? Yeah. It mm-hmm. probably felt really fake, um, fakely pious, but they, there, she were, there was a lot of animosity that yeah. she got met with because of that. So she uh, knew it was of God, but in the same way, prayed that it would be taken away from her. Um, kind of her solution in prayer and working with her spiritual director was that was why kind of she felt called to start her own convent yeah. it was because she realized that spiritually it wasn't the place for her to be. Right. Uh, and so, like you said, the idea that we have religious orders now that all of what she's trying to do is going to sound very familiar at this point. So she wanted, um, you know, a life of poverty and a life devoted to prayer, which yeah. is very, that's pretty standard. Right. I mean, on for our parish mission, we're having the Franciscan fires of the renewal. Like they do a lot of the same thing. So yes. it's pretty, this is what we're Across actually the board, used to. Yeah. Religious life. Um, but then it was a really big deal. Her plans to start her convent, when she called St. Joseph's, um, she was denounced from the pulpit in her convent mm-hmm. that she lived at. Um, her, the sisters in her convent told her that if she was going to be raising money, that it should be for their convent that she was already at. Right. And so they threatened her with um, like legal legal action and inquisition. Wow. Um, and um, that that's what happened. Uh, one of the things that made people the most angry about St. Joseph's was um, the vow of poverty that they were taking um, – that caused scandal among the citizens in the area. And uh, they were really trying to suppress suppress her convent. Why do you think that is? Like, I don't know. What, what is it about the Valpo? That's what I just really started. Because that feels very like on brand for Jesus. And Yeah, that's when I was doing this. I was just like almost like convicted. Like, God, why are people like this? <laughs> Truly. Well, and I just looking back now in hindsight, like how the Lord was like, I want you to spend more time with me and not your friends. Mm -hmm. Like that he knew what her path would be and how her friends were more of the Mm -hmm. world. And Mm -hmm. so he was trying to do something different with her. Yeah. Um, I mean, like she received a papal, a papal sanction when she moved to the new convent house um, because of the poverty, because they renounced ownership of property. um, Because, this is the word I can never say. Discalced is that? Discalced, yes. yeah, because they became a discalced order. Mm-hmm. Uh, Without so wearing shoes, they didn't wear shoes, mm-hmm. and because they prayed the divine office every 
every, like the way it's supposed to. So, mm. which is like, yeah. that's what, it's just so funny when now we're like, that's when what this is the literally norm. everyone does now. You guys are, yeah. you guys are the weirdos. <laughs> um, she I, was very forward thinking. Oh, very forward thinking. So one of her quotes that she kind of took with her and just like moving forward. Actually, I take that back. Not forward. They, she went back to the basics. Is what. It's true, actually, because that's how things used to be. Yeah. Um. She Her quote is, God protect me from the gloomy saints. And I loved that because working in the church, Lord have mercy, the gloomy saints that I have encountered with. And then as soon as I, when I was. Explain what a gloomy saint is. Um. I mean, like take I don't up your know cross, if I like... can because it will be not good for my salvation. <laughs> okay, I got you. But I don't know. Just I, yeah, I don't know if I should. It's too personal. But I definitely know what she meant by gloomy saint. Like, like kind of just, like embracing just the suffering piece. No. You're, see, oh. you're too holy to even know what a gloomy saint <laughs> is. No, there are people, for instance, that are like uh, the youth ministers. Not, I'm not, I'm just saying in general. In my experience over I'm eight years of ministry, not, this is, I'm not is naming not, any names, any churches. This is not related to this parish. No, okay. but uh, just like the youth ministers just play with kids all day. They're not doing their real work. They don't work hard. Oh, that people say that about youth ministers? Yes, I have heard that said. Oh. at Yes, at a place, working at a church, people yeah. have said things like, oh, you just spend time with kids and eat pizza. And I'm like, yeah, that bro. Sounds like the Lord's work. That is literally <laughs> relational ministry. You clearly, in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, I do spend time with kids and eat pizza. That yeah. is, and it's great. And I we're doing things for Jesus. You yes. know what I mean? So that yeah. gloominess of like, why are you praying, Saint Teresa? You're right. the worst. Like, yeah. I, and in the one way, it could be like I'm over here, like working for the kingdom and doing things that actually matter for the church and you're playing with kids. And I'm like, uh, maybe a little bit more narrow perspective, right? Narrow perspective and not seeing truly what it is missing. Like the point sometimes of Jesus zoomed in a little. Yes. Yeah. So when she said that, I knew exactly what she meant, (laughs) but then also my heart was immediately convicted and I felt Jesus be like, you're a gloomy saint too. Sometimes (laughs) like he whispered that. And I was like, you're right. Okay. Sorry. So I felt called to share that as I, we probably about all are in some way. Yes. Right. Um, but she just very much was like still moving forward with God's protection. Uh, and I loved that her rule of life was all about um, love. And she didn't necessarily even consider it a rule of life, but just an attitude of love is what she said. That's beautiful. Um, so she believed that they should be working yeah. um, to sustain themselves. Yeah. Um, she and one thing I loved is that it said she cared about obedience to God more than penance. So her big thing was if you did something wrong, don't punish yourself, just change. And mm. I was like, again, that's so straight to the point, straight to the point, and so practical mm-hmm. in prayer. Yeah. Um, so you would think she started her convent, now she has peace to be holy, her work is done here. That was not the case. Uh, after a couple of years of living in her convent and writing about her life, um, and actually, she started writing about her life, so her autobiography, where we have these beautiful quotes and just this beautiful look into her mind, she actually wrote to clear her name from the Inquisition. It was kind of like <laughs> really? a defense of her life and what was actually wow. going on in her head, which this is something I thought was so interesting. Because in high school, one of my friends told me they didn't like Teresa of Avila mm-hmm. because they had tried to read her masterpiece in Terry Castle. Right. Yeah. And that in it, she keeps saying like, but I don't actually know anything or, well, I'm just I a wretched this. sinner. I love that she does that throughout the whole thing. Like, it's like this like disclaimer that like, hey, here's what I think it is. But 
Yeah. So my friend was like, that's so annoying. You're a saint. Obviously, you know things. So she kind of felt it as like a like an annoying piety. But you picked it. It, it is a disclaimer. She's saying like, I don't really know. This is just my experience. Like it's yeah. very because people are reading this to be like judgmental of her to right. like clear to see if she's. I think that passes the test of sainthood right there of saying like, I don't really know, but yeah. all I can do is give my witness and exactly. see if it helps somebody So the else. whole time she's saying like, uh, I'm not trying to do anything crazy. So she is kind of disclaiming herself as she's talking. Yes. So I liked learning that because I remembered what that friend said to me um, all those years ago. I feel like the more sure someone is like about something as like an absolute, it's like the less. Oh, there. true. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Um. So... At the age of 51, she decides that she's not just going to stay in her convent. She's going to go out and reform cool. the other, the convents. She's on fire at this point. She is, yeah. So it's 1567, and she receives um, permission from the Carmelite general at the time to go and uh, establish new Carmelite houses in her order. She also, at this time, is when she receives permission to um, start uh, monasteries for men. Oh, cool. So she, between like 1567 and 1571, she started like five or six monasteries for men. Um, and this is when St. John of the Cross comes into her life. One of the people who, um, was with her for in, in her cause. And, uh, also he played a big role in his teaching and preaching and um, for her. For, yeah, for their just like their discalced order for yeah. what they were doing. So that's kind of where their relationship comes into play. And they had a, I mean, their relationship could also is actually, I just, I bought a book for a teen. I wanted to know more about St. John of the Cross and it's about Teresa of Avila oh, and cool. their friendship. Yeah. So that really is the study, like books are written on their friendship alone. So yes. I'll just say at this point is when he is coming into her life as um, a friend and spiritual, spiritual mentor. Um so as she's going about reforming, traveling all over, starting new convents, reforming existing ones, uh, these are just some of the things that were going on in her life. Uh, the papal nuncio called her a restless, disobedient gadabout who was gone about teaching as though she were a professor. Wow. I don't even know what a gadabout is, but it doesn't sound good. <laughs> yeah, it sounds um, her former convent, where she started at actually, voted her in as prioress. So they loved her changes. They wanted her to be the prioress. Oh, cool. Um, and then those nuns who voted for her were excommunicated. Oh, no. <laughs> and then they paced like um, officers, like police officers outside to make sure she didn't come near the convent that she was just voted prioress of. Um, so a lot of dissent. Oh, on. a lot. Other religious orders would protest her when she came into town to the point where she there were riots wherever she went and she started sneaking into towns by night <laughs> so that she, there wouldn't be trouble wherever she went. But... She is trouble. just a goddess of, I don't want to, dang it, that's <laughs> Scratch sacrilegious. That. Yeah. I mean, she's just amazing and incredible. Um, I wanted to say another word, but I will not. So <laughs> she just, this was all good publicity to her. Right. That's just how crazy she was. Crazy I mean, cool. Right. If, if people are that far against you. Yes. She took it all in stride and said this was good publicity. And it was because her order was super growing at a time when you could be a nun and basically change nothing about your life yeah probably upgrade your status even. yeah upgrade your status people were f like fighting to be in her orders yeah, because it was the truth yes yeah um they want and they wanted to learn about her for prayer so at this point oh, is when beautiful. she's becoming this heavy hitter of prayer yeah um and her ideas about prayer were like famous in spain but also spreading throughout all of europe had she written interior castle yet 
you know, I didn't, she wrote so much yeah. that I didn't focus too much on her writings because okay. I was getting overwhelmed. That, I mean, that alone is its own. Episode. Oh, yeah. I feel like Interior Castle is maybe towards the later part because um, she was able to like talk about those deeper right. parts of yeah. her. One thing I think is so interesting, and I, I haven't tried this in a couple years, but I found when I would read Interior Castle, mm-hmm. As I would try to read it before my birthday since it's the same day. It's or I would try to start Novena to her. Yeah. Um, I could never get past Castle Four. Like oh, something yeah? would happen where I'd be reading and I could not finish the book. So I've never read past Castle ne- Four. Well, that's what's out there. <laughs> what is what are the next levels? But I think that that's beautiful because like we talked about, you can always go deeper in prayer. And so that's just something to like look forward to. And yes. maybe that's just kind of where you need to be at this point. Who knows? But I need to revisit and see maybe now I'll be like stuck in Castle One when I read it. Well, and I mean, I think she talks about that, that you yeah. can go back and forth. Mo- that's, you know, it's that's never why I thought a straight it was, line. Yeah. That's why I thought it was so interesting that I would try to read it and I could not get to like get through the chapters on the other castles. Right. So I was just like, okay, but I think that's like a reason. book for a lifetime. That's not oh, a yeah. one like one and done read. Like you, it's like piece by piece. You oh, for take sure. It. Yeah, I need to revisit it again. Maybe like each birthday, you just try to read some of it. Maybe, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I need to get back to it. There's also a study guide on it. Is there? Okay, that's what I, I think. Need. I'm gonna get you that. <gasps> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. So let me see. Yeah. So I mean, that's just that's she. This is what she She's did. She's an amazing woman. She and was amazing teaching people how to pray. She died in 1582. Oh, okay. This is interesting. Maybe just to me because I love history. And I don't fully understand this, but at so, right before she died, they were switching to the Gregorian calendar. Okay. I don't fully know what that is, but it's the calendar that we have now. Okay. Um, But so before they were on the Julian calendar, again, don't know a lot about this, but she died at midnight on October fourth mm-hmm. but because they were switching the calendar and it changed literally like how we count the year yeah her feast day on so her feast day on the julian calendar is october 4th mm-hmm. but because we use the gregorian calendar it's october 15th oh so wow. i think that's so interesting that, that she didn't cool. actually die on october 15th but yeah. i guess she did because we moved the calendar time yeah um anyway she died in a state of mystical ecstasy of oh, course that's so cool with her eyes on the crucifix and her last words were my lord it is time to move on. Well, then, may your will be done. Oh, Lord, and my spouse, the hour that I have longed for has come. It's time to meet one another. Oh, so beautiful. Put that on my tombstone. <laughs> I feel like my last words are not going to be as eloquent as that. Definitely not. <laughs> Mine will not be. She she is an amazing woman. And I, mean, and I left out so much. We can I mean, go there's on. so much to do. She's, I feel like we need to just do uh, like a quick... 30 second, if that can even be done, of what Interior Castle is, because that's really her tribute to like the levels of prayer. Right. And how she says that like prayer is like a castle, almost kind of like a spiral, right? Doesn't it spiral inward or? It's like a big sprawling castle. Oh, it's a big sprawling castle. I don't know. I haven't read it in probably uh, four years. It's been since I revisited, but I know the castle's really big. The it's like your really, heart is the castle, yeah, right? Your heart is the castle and like there's entry level points and she defines what that looks like at each um, level or each castle within the castle, right? Yes. So yeah. like one thing I remember is like each castle has like an entryway. Yes. And there's a lot of coming and going and a lot right. of like moving around in there. And mm-hmm. that's kind of like her analogy of like 
everyone starts like at a small, like distracted place. Yes. Your and it changes going a in lot and out, in yeah. and out. You're not super consistent yeah, with like who's coming stars, and who's going. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then it kind of like, but then he moved to like this other room and like the rooms get deeper, deeper and more yes. in like interior wise right. into the structure of the castle. Yeah. Into the heart of God. Right. And it's just so beautiful that she, it's almost like coming from this analytical point of being able to like describe every level and what that looks like and what some of the difficulties are on those levels. Right. And it's so And how detailed. to move to the next one. Like what could keep you from moving on yes. to a deeper level? How to prayer. advance. Yes. It's so laid out. Like structurally Mm -hmm. I feel like and and yet she's still like I don't know if this is you know the case and I'm just through her humility but I feel like that also just normalizes those prayer levels because like we couldn't verbalize that of like no you know no matter what I know just speaking for myself I couldn't be able to say like oh I'm on this level of prayer I don't have that no. insight and awareness of just knowing the depth of the prayer life yeah. to know that so yeah that's true because i have reached not very good depths so i wouldn't know like <laughs> well, what like level based like on the map yes and i'm like it's so brilliant and so mm-hmm. divinely led that um just i've never seen anything before or after that, that looks no like that. there's nothing like that that's why she's a doctor of the church yeah. truly Amen. um love her I feel like, I mean, I talked way too long. I'm so sorry, but <laughs> that's okay. Mine she's the heaviest not, of all the hitters prayer wise. I mean, we have to, we probably should have just done her alone, but I'm going to say mine is a good kind of like grandchild of hers, Oh yay! <laughs> which also is why I bought the caramels because some people who are wrong, by the way, call them caramels. Okay. Right. <gasps> I mean, it's caramel. Yeah. Am I right? Or am I wrong? I think I say both. You say caramel. I, I say caramel or caramel. Just depending on. I don't think I have a preference. <laughs> I feel like this is like one of those things where like you either are one or the other. I've never no, met I someone will who will say both. I say both. Maybe I'm mistaken. I also say pecan and pecan. Okay. Well. I'm weird. Okay. <laughs> Not weird. Okay. So that's what was my like pun and play on that because mm-hmm. my saint is St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. I don't know anything about her. Oh, yeah. This is exciting because you're like the saint, like, encyclopedia. <laughs> okay, but a lot of people don't know about I her. I don't. She's like this hidden gem of sainthood. And she is also a Carmelite sister, so kind oh. of like a descendant of this Carmelite yeah. um, order. And she is also very... Um, connected to prayer in a very simple way. Like, whereas St. Teresa of Avila has this very... Um, intellectual insightful way of prayer um saint Therese, i'm sorry saint elizabeth of the trinity arrives at it in a very simplistic way um it by basically her whole like life's motto is to like bury herself in the trinity and Ooh. for the trinity to be buried within her i'm so excited yes i love that so when you said like i'm jesus of Teresa and i'm Teresa of jesus that she very much has that same flavor in her spirituality mm-hmm. too of like abiding in one another um, so I'm just going to like jump in with her. Yeah. She, well, her feast day is on November 8th and she is the patron saint of people with illnesses, of sick people and the loss of parents. Mm. She was born in 1880 in central France in a city called Avord, and she was the oldest of two daughters. And around the age of seven, her father died and the girls and her mother moved into a second story apartment that overlooked the Carmelite um, convent. Across. Oh, okay. It's called the Carmel of Dijon. That's giving me uh, Sound of Music vibes. <laughs> yes. 
which is my favorite movie. Yay! Um, her official name was Elizabeth Catez. I'm probably not saying her last name right, but um, her family's nickname of her, this is one thing I love, is that they didn't call her Lizzie or Beth, but they called her Sabath, like Elizabeth, like Sabath. Um, so her childhood, she was regarded as a brilliant pianist, Ooh. and she was a really good student, and People would think that she should have been a delightful child, but she was very stubborn and had like Mm. a really fiery temper, even at such a young age. And so they called her a little ball of fury. Oh, (laughs) I like that. I like it too, because as a mom, it just gives me like more reassurance that your kids don't have to be perfect and look like, you know, saints and like that's the stuff that makes them saints. Um, And so she was really disruptive and just had been called bossy. And so another one of her nicknames was the little captain. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I like it too. Um, but that's because I'm not her mom. <laughs> she said that, um, it says that like her mother was like so harassed by her, um, that she was like, I'm going to send you to a school for corrections. And like, was so adamant about it that she even like packed her daughter's bags, like with her own hands. It was like, this is going to happen. Um, and so she threatened her with that and, Basically, Elizabeth like backed down. She like uh-huh. that threat worked, and so after that, she made like sincere attempts to like try to like control her temper. Um, but it wasn't until she received her first Holy Communion at age eleven that her temper started to subside a little bit. And on on that day when she made her first Holy Communion, she went to go visit the Dijon Carmel um, convent, and that's where she met the prioress there, mm. who became like a very influential part of her religious calling. And that day when she met the prioress, the prioress told her that her Christian name meant house of God. Isn't that beautiful? And so at age 11, she learned that the meaning of her name and that it was house of God. And she was so struck by that, that she like resolved that like such a beautiful name could not um, like hold like an ungodly temperament. Mm. So she she decided to live like a more disciplined life. And it says, Elizabeth reasoned that a house of God could have no standing with an agent of mischief and chaos in residence. Oh. <laughs> I just thought that was like a neat um, way to look at what your name means and how to live by that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that helped, a, that helped some, but she was still young. And so she still struggled with her temper and just her natural... Um, personality and she I guess at one point there's a story that she like had this like very loud and extended like temper tantrum with a parish priest oh and he was like you're either gonna die a saint or a demon oh (laughs) he's like there could be no other possibility there's no in between so um there was there's definitely like this like polarizing piece of her personality um that could be either used for good or bad um, and so during her like teenage years, she, she came from a wealthy family. And so during her teenage years, she, um, lived like that socialite life, kind of like mm-hmm. how you were talking about, um, St. Teresa. And so she enjoyed like worldly things and socialized and she loved like making dresses that were really beautiful and creating these intricate hair designs and traveling with her family. All of those things eased her mom's fear that she was going to go to the convent because I think mm-hmm. she saw this desire kind of growing within her when she met the virus. Um, but she wanted her mom wanted her to get married yeah. to someone wealthy. And so she 
basically begged Elizabeth to put aside any like feeling of calling to the religious life aside until her 21st birthday. And so she thought if she could delay her entry in there, uh, she would find a guy that would want to marry her and she would kind Mm -hmm. of go down that path. But that did not happen because as much as she enjoyed parties and galas, um, her desire to enter the Carmelite convent continued. And so she began to practice contemplative prayer um, which is what greatly helped her like control her temper. That was what like soothed her mm-hmm. and got her away from the world. Um, and it said that like her mom watched her daughter continue to meet with the priors. Like they, they had a growing relationship. Mm-hmm. And so she spent a lot of time at the church teaching um, catechism lessons to kids and adults. And on she knew that her 21st birthday was like coming and Elizabeth's mom knew that that calling was going to be met. Like she yeah. she. She had been defeated, basically. And so it, it says, in, ni- in August of 1901, two weeks after turning 21, she claimed her birthday present, which means that she, like, finally just, like, walked into the convent and was like, I'm sorry, Mom. And she yeah. she and her sister were very close. She had a younger sister. And so they, um, it was hard for her to say goodbye to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but she knew what her calling was, and she went into the cloistered convent. And when she went in there, it was like she was free. And she was, she only, and she actually only lived five years after entering the, the Carmelite no, Order. Really? Yeah, she died very young. She died That's at 26 oh from the effects of Addison's disease. Wow. Which is like a disease that, um, where you don't produce enough hormones. Mm-hmm. And so, but during her time there, she made like so much, uh, so many advances in like wisdom and, contemplative life mm-hmm. and it's all published through her the letters mostly that I think she wrote to her family wow uh, about her spiritual journey and one of the things I really like about her is that she wrote all these letters to her sister who had a family she was a mom mm-hmm. and so she wrote to her kind of encouraging her from the mm-hmm. convent and just like saying you know just letting her know that she was also living a deeply religious life as her mm-hmm. calling as a mother and wife and so um, very encouraging for both the religious community and the lay community. Um, but in her letters, um, she she talks about the vocation to be a bride, a bride of Carmel, um, which meant to have like a flaming heart of Elijah and the trans-pierced heart of Teresa. Yeah. Um, to be his true bride because she was zealous for his honor. And St. Elizabeth of the Trinity had true depth of prayer, was a mystic, great lover of Jesus, and real friend to her sisters and Carmel and the family. She she was so connected to the Trinity um, that she just wanted to be no more St. Elizabeth, Elizabeth. She wanted to just, and I feel like one of her prayers was like, no more Elizabeth, only Jesus, you know, mm, like yeah. only the Trinity. And so she, St. Um, Therese of Lisieux, what died before she did so she Mm -hmm. but I think they shared some time together where they were alive at the same time um so a lot of people were like well are you gonna be like Saint Therese you know or the shower down of roses Mm because I think they saw her sainthood coming yeah and she was like no way I want to be like buried in the trinity when I go you know like I don't want to be like um doing anything else but living like in the heart of God Mm -hmm. um so in that sense though she it's not that her sainthood is like she doesn't do anything for anybody she's just really quiet about the way it's done oh I love that. If you ask for her intercession, 
you're not going to get the shower of roses like mm-hmm. St. Therese, but you'll get that deeper closeness with the Trinity and you won't even know it till later. You'll be like, was that St. Elizabeth? Oh, you know? that is such it's, humility. I know. I love it. It's so beautiful. So she still does the work, but it's just hidden. And I feel like that's so perfect for Lent too, mm-hmm. because we're called yes. to like do things kind of in mm-hmm. secret. Um, so she has a famous prayer that is for the Trinity. And it says, Oh my God, Trinity, whom I adore, let me entirely forget myself that I may abide in you still and peaceful as if my soul were already in eternity. Let nothing disturb my peace nor separate me from you. Oh, my unchanging God, but that each moment may take me further into the depths of your mystery, pacify my soul, make it your heaven, your beloved home and place of your repose. Let me never leave you there alone. May, but may I ever be attentive, ever alert in my faith, ever adoring and all given up to your creative action. It's just such a love letter to the Trinity and just to be. That's so beautiful. Living in union. Yeah. With it. And very much feels that same essence of St. Teresa of Avila and just um, in like a childlike way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, just wanting to just be so close and intimate. And there's. And the other piece that I really liked about her was about how she prayed for others. Mm-hmm. Uh, in her simplicity, she looked to the scripture of when um, Martha and Mary asked Jesus for help for Lazarus. And mm-hmm. they said, Lord, the one you love is sick. That's how they approach the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so that was like when she prayed for other people, she'll, mm-hmm. she would just be like, Lord, the one you love needs you. Oh, like, wow. I love that. It was like that was all she needed to say. Why have I never thought to pray that prayer? I mean, it's like, right there. It's right there. That, and that's what she was no, also known for is like, she didn't think that she knew that every word in scripture was so sacred yeah. and that there was meaning to it and that it prayer didn't have to be this like very like flowery language with lots of extra words that it could be just so simple and direct, mm-hmm. which is oftentimes like how Jesus teaches us to pray to of just heart to heart, right? Like not all the extras. And so that just, that just made so much sense to me. It was like a light bulb went off and I'm like, Oh, so when someone like tells me this like tragic thing that's happening, like I don't have to like spend like all these words trying to like put that into prayer. Like mm-hmm. I can just be like, Lord, the one you love is scared. Yeah. The one you love, is, you know, needs you. Oh my goodness. Isn't I'm going to pray like that all the time. I mean, and just having faith that the Lord will know what that means and hear it and be able to, mm-hmm. I mean, if he could raise Lazarus from the dead, I mean, yeah. Right. Of course. So that I thought was beautiful. Um, And she actually, even though um, she was, you know, somewhat of a contemporary with St. Therese, she didn't get um, canonized till October of 2016 by Pope Francis. Oh, wow. So she is very, like, like this hidden gem, like Mm -hmm. I said. But I feel like we need to get her name out there. And this is, like, one of the great parts of it. Yeah, we will. (laughs) We're actually doing it right now. Okay, so that's my stance is like people need to know her. Saint Elizabeth of the Trinity. I love her. She is a beautiful saint. Yeah. You will never know she's working for you until like later and then you'll be like, ah. Oh. That is amazing. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. I love it too. I hadn't heard of her at all. That's so cool. Um that's- if you ever want to check more out about her, there's a book called This Present Paradise by Claire Dwyer. Um that makes it very relatable her writings to like now and the vocation of motherhood specifically. So Ooh, buying it, writing it down. <laughs> add, add to cart. Oh, for sure. <laughs> as soon as I leave this room. <laughs> Thank so, yeah. you. No, really. Yeah. I feel like 
a new friend alert Aww. is happening. I really want to read her book. Friend request. Yeah. All right. Should we? I mean, let's wrap it up. Let's with wrap it up. Blessings and burdens. Okay. Are you, you, do go, you, wanna, you go, okay, go first, go. please? Um, I think burden. So one thing about working for the church is that like the holy seasons yeah. are very busy at the church. So if you're working at the church, you're very busy. Which is so, hard because it's Lent is kind of a time to Yeah. Quiet, so there's just right? a lot. I just feel very uh, pulled a lot of different ways. Sure. Yeah. Kind of just really tired too. Just like mentally, physically. Yes. Um, it's just kind of a sprint to Easter from here. Right. I kind and of feel like you can see ahead that there's a lot going on. Yeah, there's a lot going on. So that's just kind of been weighing on me a little bit. Yeah. And also more just like the desire, like, oh, I wish I could really slow down during this time. Yeah. And I think maybe that's a call to like find the balance for sure. But yeah. working at the church, I mean, same thing with Advent, like it just right. flies by because there's a thousand things we're doing for other people. So right. um, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. I thought about that. I do. Um, I feel a little bit already like oh, this is. I'm going to try my best to make this about my spiritual growth, but right. I'm already feeling the burnout and it just started yesterday. Um, You're in the desert in your own way. A little bit. Yeah. So, but that's, I mean, I'm used to it. I think yeah. it feels a little bit more heavy because I'm just like physically tired because yeah, I've been. There's but, that piece of it too. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, I think blessing would be that Ben got his first ashes yesterday. Oh, that was, so I didn't cute. know that they did ashes for babies. I didn't know that they didn't. Like, what do you mean? Like that they would put ashes on Yeah, babies? I didn't know that the babies got ashes too. Oh, cute. But yeah, they did. He wasn't the only baby. he was baby. okay with it. Yeah, the lady just like, I mean, it was a very sweet older woman. <laughs> I, so she just barely touched his head yeah, with the ashes. He didn't so, get like the big dark cross on No, <laughs> but it was just very cute. I mean, he, he just like, you know, was rubbing all over his face. Yeah. And, so it was gone by the end of mass. But sweet. it was very cute to see his little dot of ashes. So yes. at the same time, like. Ash Wednesday was kind of tiring and Lent's a little tiring for church employees, but then yeah. it was Ben's first Ash Wednesday ever, which That's is crazy. Beautiful. I love um, that. Yeah. So that was just fun. A I fun like first experience. Yes. Um, his, his entry into yeah, little life. Lent. His first Lent, his little life beautiful. as a Catholic. It's, oh my goodness. It's it was so yesterday. sweet to see your child like living out that. Yeah. It's like you're reliving it. Was that so cute. Him. Yeah. It was I love just that. adorable. I love it. Um, so I think that was my. My blessing. We tried to get a picture, but it was gone. But that was my blessing. It's his little ash dot. <laughs> I saw that. So and I thought it was adorable. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, my blessing is, since we're talking about Carmelites, my aunt, my dad's sister is a Carmelite. <gasps> really? Yes. Oh in India. And she is just, um, I. you know, when you have a family member that's in the religious community, you just kind of you don't soak up all the like beauty of what the order is. It's just kind mm -hmm. of a normal way of life. And so um, getting to learn about two Carmelite saints, just I feel like I know her better now. And Aww, yeah. she, she is such a beautiful spirit. And she's like um, probably in her early 90s at this oh point. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And just very prayerful. Um, she does not speak English very well. So we did have a communication barrier just from like the broken yeah. um, Malayalam that I could speak to her. But like understanding her order, I feel like I understand her spirit so much Aww, better too. Yeah. So that's a super sweet blessing. Um, and she's your aunt or your dad's aunt? She's my aunt, oh, okay. my dad's older sister. Oh, okay. Yes. And so, um, and I'm the youngest of my family, so there's a big age gap. But um, so I would just say that's my blessing of just having that in the family too. Yeah. Um, and my burden is stomach bugs. No, your boys. 
one of All my of boys. Oh, no, no, just one. Okay. I think it's a stomach bug. I don't know. Yeah. It just wipes you out. And yeah. it looks like it was just a 24-hour thing. But once you have a stomach bug, it takes a while to oh, bounce back. For you know sure. I mean? Like the whole GI thing. But Yeah. Um, All right, guys. Have a great Lent. Happy Lent. Have a great prayerful Lent. We'll be praying for you. Bye.